That's good. Well, hey, welcome, young adults. We're excited that you guys are here tonight. If we've not met, my name is Jared, and I get the honor of being with you guys tonight. If you have your Bible, uh, you can open it up to James chapter one. We're in a series where we're just walking through the book of James. James is such an interesting book because it's so practical. So much of the Bible is very theological. It's ethereal. It kind of lives up in the clouds. But James is such a fun book because it's so Practical And Logan talked last week about James 1, 2 through 4, and kind of the piece that you take away from that is not a fun topic. Count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Like, nobody wants to go through any kind of trial, much less considering it joy. And if Logan's message last week was 1A, this message this week is 1B. And I'm gonna go ahead and read it, James 1, 5 through 8. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. If you don't have a Bible, the easiest way to read your Bible is on your phone if you don't do it. You can go to the version Bible app um, and you can look at the events page and see all my notes for tonight and re- start reading the Bible on your own. But James 1, 5 through 8 continues the talk on trials and suffering and difficulty, and it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord." He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. The the truth tonight is that we need wisdom. Logan's message last week was so good about having a perspective on your trials and knowing what to do when you walk through it and and having an idea. But what's so interesting to me here is that the Bible doesn't tell you to pray for what I normally pray for when I come up against a problem. Like when I come up against difficulty, I'm normally pay, praying for, um, to get through it. Like, hey God, I got this thing coming up. Will you just help me ace the test? Will you help me just get through the problem? We ask for God to protect. God, hey, I know we got, you know, we say things about like traveling mercies. We gotta drive. I don't know what that means. Hedges of protection. I don't know if that has to do with, it. I don't know what it is, but we ask for it. And we ask God for like, will you heal? Will you, will you do all these things? But what God tells us to do when we're up against something that we don't know how to battle it and how to fight it is to ask for wisdom. Wisdom is not a word that we consider a lot. I doubt if I polled many of you, have you used the word wisdom this week? You, you probably haven't. Like, maybe. What do, you, what do you think of when you view the word wisdom? When you see the word wisdom, what... What, what comes to mind? Uh, a couple of things are like, like the, the great Greek thinkers, the Roman thinkers of like Aristotle and Socrates and all of these guys and like they, they created methods of thought and testing certain thoughts and like, man, they were smart. You think about like our guy Yoda, like he's just got the wisdom. He's got the wisdom and you want it like, just the way that he talks, he sounds wise. Like some people have that gift, I do not. You're gonna learn pretty quickly. Jared may not be as smart as he tries to come off. You'll learn pretty fast. Uh, you, maybe you think of like a business person, you're Steve Jobs, you're like Mark Zuckerberg, like they create things and then they run this massive business, they're billionaires, so they must be wise. But sometimes I think conventional wisdom, 
what the world all views as wisdom or good or right thinking will lead us in the wrong direction. You might have a story where conventional, common thought wisdom led you to the wrong spot. Maybe you went and visited a place, New York City, and you were like, man, it's gonna be the Big Apple. It's, it's the center of culture, and you were just like, it's just kind of dirty. Maybe you went uh, with a friend, and you're like, you, you, you went to this concert, and you're like, this person's gonna blow us away. They're gonna blow our minds. And you're like, they didn't sound as good live as they do on the record. You're like, the wisdom of like, go see your star, like it, it didn't, didn't fit. Um, I graduated high school when a recession was happening, when the economy was not so hot. And, and you guys probably have heard this, but like college isn't quite what it used to be. The starting salaries, for my degree, from the time I started college to when I ended it, um, the, the starting salary went down like $11,000. That was not what I was hoping to see upon graduating college. The conventional wisdom took me in the wrong direction. But I do have good news. Um, we're not found alone in that conventional wisdom can lead us in the wrong spot. Um, does anybody in the room know how George Washington died? Can anybody just shout it out? Do you know how George Washington died? Nobody? Okay. What? Uh, not exactly. Um, that's a good one. Uh, I visited Mount Vernon when I was a child where he died. That was his home, his estate. Uh, and he died on Mount Vernon. He was out riding his horse, um, and it rained. He got all wet, and he didn't want to change before dinner, so he stayed in his wet clothes. What happens when you stay in wet clothes? You catch a cold. You catch a cold. He caught a cold, and they think he got sick, and he had a couple of things that happened. They think he had like a sore throat, that he was inflamed like somewhere in his throat area, and he wasn't feeling well. They said that that night his wife woke up, and they said that he couldn't barely speak. He lost his voice, and he was having trouble breathing. He was coughing some. He probably got a cold. The conventional wisdom of the day, professional medical doctors rushed to our former president's side, and you know what they did? They bloodlet him. The conventional wisdom was that there's illness in your blood and we have to let it out. So six times over the next six hours, they let his blood, they checked his fever, they checked to see if he felt better, and he lost over 40% of his blood. Conventional wisdom isn't always what we need to get through a trial. What we're gonna learn tonight is that God's wisdom is different. Now, I'll say this. There are certain aspects to wisdom that the world has adopted because it works. Biblical wisdom, there are things in science and just that work with money and e even the ethic of sex and the way that the Bible looks at that, people look at it and go, listen, it, it, it may not be popular, but it does work. Why? Because God's word has what's best for us and will help us. So I wanna revisit a couple of things. You might be going through a, a trial. You might be going through something that's financial, that maybe, and this one's always tough because maybe nobody really knows about it. A trial that's financial. You might have a past hurt, something that just kind of lives in you that you're like, man, I gotta forgive this, 
every single time I see this person, every single time I go through this, you might be going through a trial that's relational. There, there might be tension. There might be a conversation that needs to be had that you're like, the last thing I want to do is go have that conversation. And it just lives in your mind and your heart like a tension. Maybe the, the thing that's coming up isn't necessarily bad, but you've got two options in front of you, and you don't know which one it, it is. So it feels like a trial. It feels like, okay, God, I feel like you're testing me, trying to figure out which one I want to go through. Maybe you've got something where you've just got a, a, a medical diagnosis that maybe not many people know about, or maybe you've had it for so long it's kind of a joke that, yeah, yeah, it's just pull what, what I have, but it weighs on you. Maybe that's on a family member. But you have to be the one that carries that. You have to be the one that holds that. And it's not easy. We're all going through some type of trial. So what is biblical wisdom? What is biblical wisdom? I have a couple, couple of things. Biblical wisdom, how it differentiates from the world's wisdom. Biblical wisdom is living out your relationship with God. Biblical wisdom is living out your relationship with God. It's not just holding all the information. It's not just the person who can know chapter and verse. Well, you know the Bible says not to do that. You can know the right thing and not choose to do it. That's not being wise. It's living out your relationship with God. Living like a person who has a relationship. The second definition I would give it is that you see life or you have the ability to see life with the perspective of the Bible. You see life with the perspective of the Bible. And a short version of that would be that God created us to walk and talk with him, but sin entered and broke and severed that relationship. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to be what we couldn't be, to restore our relationship to God and redeem what we couldn't redeem on our own and now we are new creations and everything's changed and our eternity is changed because of that. That's what it looks like to have a view of the world through a biblical lens. I wanna address something. Y'all are probably here and you're like, okay, wisdom, that, that all sounds good. You guys are young adults that are here on a Tuesday night. You could be anywhere um, and you choose to be here. So you're like, I get it, verse five is like the easy one to, to, to chew on. You need wisdom, ask for it, God gives it to you. Verse six, seven, and eight are kind of the hard pieces. It says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to you, but the second half doesn't sound quite as generous as the first half. He says, let him ask in faith with no doubting and you're like, well, there goes me, I guess I'll just sit quietly through the rest of this message. And the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That is not saying you can't have one sliver of a doubt, of a thought about something or of God. God can handle your doubts. What it's saying is that God's wisdom is not to be treated like a spiritual tool. God is not a vending machine. It says that, that double-minded, 
That means that we're living one way, how we want to live in our flesh, however you want to talk about it. But then we go, man, the Bible's got some good stuff about finances. So I'm going to walk over to God, the spiritual vending machine, and say, God, I'd like before some wisdom on finances. I receive the wisdom on finances, and I go back to live the way that I want. It's saying you can't just assume, oh, God will just give me what he wants, or this is just another avenue of receiving wisdom. We can't just use God like a spiritual vending machine to give us the tools so that we can have a better life. That's not it. God is not an additive to make your life 1%, 5%, 10% better. When you read the Bible, what you read about is a story where God doesn't say, I just wanna make you better, I wanna make you new. You were dead and I wanna make you alive. And that changes everything. It changes everything. That's when you see someone and they're doing a couple of the things of what God's word says and it's like, you're close but you also miss the point. You can do the things that the Bible says, but if you miss the heart of who God is, you've missed the whole thing. God doesn't give a couple of points for being close. It's a pass-fail. Either you know God and have a relationship with him or you do not. One will give you an eternity spent with God and one will give you an eternity spent with hell. One is accepting the free gift that God gave us by dying on the cross being put in a tomb, but rising three days later so that we could have life eternal with him. So God wants us to live in a way, if this is us, if you have a relationship with God, your life shouldn't look the same as everyone else's. You should live a life that is marked by wisdom so that you can do two things. You can glorify God by living life with his wisdom and you can show the world, I am being changed by God to be made into the image of him. And that happens, our suffering, our difficulty is an avenue and a tool so that we can view God's wisdom and say, listen, I don't see, I don't have the money in the bank, and God is now telling and asking me to be generous? No, thank you. But then God offers an avenue to be generous. So God gets the glory and you trust him more. I'll say this, wisdom on its own cannot give you life and fulfillment. If wisdom is just a tool to better yourself, you're missing the point of God in the Bible. So what's the key to biblical wisdom in trials? What's the key to biblical wisdom in trials? Um, I wanna read the first part again. If any of you lacks wisdom, Let him ask God. If any of you lacks wisdom. In Proverbs, the author writes about uh, a couple of different types of wise and person. Um, The first person he writes about is the wise person. They look at correction, they look at good information, they look at knowledge, they receive that knowledge and they do the right thing. They see the problem, they look for a solution, they do the right thing, that's the wise person. There's also the fool. The fool has the same information as the wise person, but chooses not to do it. I see the option, choose not to do it. Then there's the mocker. The mocker comes in and says, I see the right thing to do, 
and I choose not to do it, and I see the person who is making the wise choice, and I'm gonna make fun of them. I'm gonna laugh at them. You're wasting your time, you're wasting your money, you're doing it the right way, nobody cares, nobody's watching, you're not impressing anybody. They mock the wise decision. But the fourth thing, the fourth person that the author of Proverbs talks about is the young. Now the young hasn't had the opportunity to be the fool or the wise yet. The young doesn't understand what the choices are. The young is potentially a fool just because he hasn't lived enough life yet. And I would would probably propose to this group of anywhere from 18 to 30-somethings that there are probably a spectrum for each of us where you might be really wise with your finances, but you might be really foolish in your relationships. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, part of this is just having a realistic view of yourself. Are there areas that you need wisdom? Is there an area that you have what we talked about earlier, what feels like a trial, tension, difficulty, just feels like grinding. You're like, I just don't really get why it's not as good as it should be and can be. That might be an area that you need wisdom. You need help. But part of that is we have to have the humility to ask. We have to have the humility to see ourselves for what it really is and ask for help. Humility. Isaiah 55, eight through nine says this. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What God is telling us here is that we don't think on the same plane as our God. He sees things differently. He sees things with a different perspective, with a different outlook. And part of this is acknowledging, God, I don't see why this is happening this way. I don't understand it. You need to have humility. The second thing, if you lack wisdom, if you have an attitude that says, if I was the one in charge, this wouldn't be this way. If you have an attitude that says, put me in the driver's seat, put me in the boss's chair, make me manager, an attitude that says, if it was me, it wouldn't be that way. Because that's based on you and your ability and what you can bring to the table. If you can have that attitude, you probably need wisdom. You probably need to ask. The third thing that I would bring up is if you lack perspective. And this is one that I feel like everybody in the room probably can connect with. Because you look at things that are trials, difficulties, and you go, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't like it. I don't want this to happen. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't think that we fully know how to register some of the pain that we have in our lives. We don't know how to file away death. Just don't. We don't know how to process a cancer diagnosis. We don't know how to deal with failure. We don't know how to register rejection. We don't know what to do with disappointment. We don't know what to do with lack of funds. Tim Keller said it this way. He said, sometimes the weight 
of our life's circumstances are more than our framework, our perspective, or our worldview can support. I'm gonna say that again. Sometimes the weight of our life circumstances are more than our framework, perspective, and worldview can support. I've been there. I told the story a couple weeks ago about when I had a nephew who was four weeks old who had a rare lung disease and he didn't make it. I didn't know how to register that. I didn't know how to file that away. It hurt. It didn't feel good. But Tim Keller tells this story after he says that line. He said that whenever they were discovering light and really what it is, and this was Sir Isaac Newton who first kind of realized light is a wave. It can be refracted. It can be put through a prism and changed and bent and that's what waves do. And that was argued back and forth for a couple of hundred years, but then it was argued that it was a particle. And common understanding of waves said that if it's a wave, it cannot be a particle. But light operates sometimes like a wave. But it also operates like a particle. And he said what the scientists at the time had up against them is they had this thing that their knowledge of the science that they knew at the time, they didn't have a framework to support the weight of this new discovery. So they had some options. They could throw up their hands and say, science is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. I don't like it. I don't like science. I was bad at it. I got a 62.5 in my first biology test and I thought maybe college wasn't for me. So you might find a hole in this thing that what I'm reading was from the internet, so stand with me. But they could have just said, listen, our framework doesn't make sense. They could deny the reality of what they found, pretend it didn't exist, or they could say what we found is not correct. Or they could readjust their framework. What Tim Keller makes the argument for after this is that you have to assess, does my framework not fit with what I see? And ultimately, you have to understand that Ecclesiastes says that we have eternity built into our hearts. Why does it feel like tension? Why do we hate death, sickness, disease, tension in relationships, lack lack of funds? We hate those things. Why? Because we want there to be eternity. We want things to be right. So when you're met with injustice, you hate it. When you're met with a lack of righteousness, when someone does something wrong, cuts you off in traffic, does the wrong thing, you're like, you need justice. You need, why? Because we have a sense of justice and righteousness embedded in us. Now, we can't always carry that out perfectly. We don't. We're sinful, broken people. But we also have to back up and go, I can't hold the weight 
of what I've been given, I just know that the world is broken. God is redeeming all things to himself. And sometimes we just have to hold on to those truths. What James is arguing for here, if you lack wisdom, if there are things that you don't understand and are pain points in your life, don't get angry and run away. Press in deeper to the God who knows you and loves you, cares for you. When you read about doubts, you look at Psalm, and, and David wrote so many Psalms, and some of them are like, God, why are you so far away from me? And you're like, that's doubt, can't have it. No, 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 what he's doing is going back to his creator saying, God, life does not make sense. He says over and over, God, it seems like my enemies prosper and I follow you and I'm harmed. You know what he's doing? He's taking his problems to his creator and saying, I don't know how to deal with the, the weight that I've been given based on my perspective and my framework. Help me, help me. If any of you lacks wisdom, do you have an area where you lack perspective or humility that you need to ask for wisdom because what is coming next is so good? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let him ask God. What you all do not need is one person's opinion. You don't need my opinion. You don't need a, another pastor's opinion. What you need is asking God. If someone is telling you a piece of what you, sounds like wisdom, but it's contrary to what's in the Bible, proceed with caution. Let him ask God. I wanna read Romans eleven thirty three through 36. It says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It says, how unsearchable are his judgments? You can't get to the bottom of his wisdom. What it says next is that he gives generously. God is not standing around, hiding from you, trying to confuse you, trying to lose you at the next step. God is found in his word. And God is not dishing out wisdom really carefully because he doesn't have a lot of it. Hey, use that really well because it's my only one for today. God wants to give it to you generously. Why? Because he has all of it for all of us, for everything. He gives it generously. He has so much. When it, that, that word gives is the active sense. He's not holding on to it like, we gotta act, you, you, gotta, you gotta be careful. No, he's just going, I get, you have it. You want it? You have it. This is one of the best promises in the Bible. If you lack wisdom, 
If you're going through something you don't know how to handle, ask God for wisdom and he wants to give it to you generously. And then it says, it will be given to him. There's other versions that say to all. This version says to, without reproach. You know what that means? That means that God doesn't come with a lecture. You want wisdom for what? That's like the simplest thing in the book. Are you kidding? You need wisdom for social anxiety, talking to people, being around other humans like the most, are you kidding me? Well, I'll give it to you, but I'm gonna make you feel bad about it. You need wisdom for your finances, just not spending more than you have. Before credit cards, that was hard to do. Do you need wisdom for, my gosh. Yeah, I guess you can have a little bit. He gives it to you just because he's a loving father who wants to give it to you. Let him ask in faith. This is connected with our faith. This is connected with the way that we know God. How we love him, we know him, we're searched by him. So how does God's wisdom come? How does the wisdom of the Bible come? God's wisdom, I'll say this, is biblically informed. God's wisdom will not be something that is contrary to this book. God will not ask you to do something that, you will not, that you'll find evidence not to do in God's word. It's biblically informed, it's communally affirmed, and it's spirit prompted. What I love about church is that there are people of all generations that are here at this church, and we get to be collectors of stories. We get to be collectors of what God has done in other people's lives so that you can go, oh, oh, that happens. Okay, I'll do that. One of the things that we, I think I shared a couple, couple weeks ago, we got our son Weber, he's adopted, he's our youngest, we still owed over $17,000. And they just told us, hey, say yes or no, we'll figure it out. And one of my favorite conversations that happened right over here in the hub, I remember right where I was sitting and I was talking to Tom Demers, our executive pastor, and he said, hey, I've been in those shoes before, I know how it's gonna look. And he gave me a couple of examples because they've, they've adopted he said, we owed this amount. And we got to watch in that hallway right there, a little old lady gave me this. God gave us this money right on the time that we needed it. The people around you get to help affirm, yes, God is calling you to do that. No, 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 you, need, you probably need to pump the brakes. For you, that may not be a wise decision. And it's prompted by the Holy Spirit. There are certain things that we'll see that we're like, you just, you just need to go and do and try. There are things that you're like, it's not gonna feel good. It, it is contrary to conventional wisdom for you to be obedient in the area of giving. There are not young adults that are being called today to give 10% of their income as a tithe to the church. That is contrary to what most people are doing. But I think God is calling people to do that. Why? Not so things can just get better here. It is a piece of obedience to look at your finances and go, God is calling me to be obedient with my finances. 
This is what he's given me. It's biblically informed. It's communally affirmed. And it's spirit prompted. It takes faith to do that. You have to trust that there's a God in heaven who's good. You have to trust that the verse that says that we have a God who has the cattle on a thousand hills, that means that he has more wealth than we know about. And it says that when we give, he will refill our storehouses so that we can go and give. You have to believe that that's true if you're gonna go and do it. And you have to have a heavenly perspective to understand that this life is not all that there is. Any threat to your wealth, to your health, power, strength is gonna be met in your heart, in your flesh, not the person sitting next to you, in your flesh with resistance. But God changes our perspective to know that this life is not all that there is. So when God calls you to be obedient in this life, you can go, yeah, what if I fail? What if I give and it was too much? Um, I had a conversation a couple weeks ago with someone that's in our community. His name's Larry, and Larry's such a great guy. Serves on our team. Larry's awesome. And I got word from someone that Larry's dad was sick. And not just like, oh, he, he popped into the hospital procedure. His dad was in a hospital in St. Louis waiting for a heart transplant. Heart transplant. And things were up and down, and family was going back and forth, and... Um, I remember we were, we were in this auditorium and I said, Larry, are you, are you okay? And if you know Larry, Larry's consistent. Larry goes, yeah, doing good. I was like, Larry, it's okay to not be good, man. Your, your dad's been in the hospital for a, a bit and he's waiting for a hard surgery. And Larry goes, man, I'm good. My mom's good. My dad's good. My dad's known the Lord for a long time. My mom is one of the strongest believers I know. And we know who's got my dad. So we're good. And sometimes in situations like that, you're like, do you know the depth of like what's going on? Do you get this? But in that moment, I was so envious of that strength and wisdom and perspective because he didn't look at his situation and deny it. He didn't look at his situation and say, I'm not gonna deal with it. He didn't just try to get over it and not assess it. He said, I know who's holding my future so I can have peace. That's biblical wisdom. That's someone who's walked with the Lord for a long period of time he knows the character of God. He knows who God is. And he knows that at the end of the day, who's good? If Larry didn't have that hope, that would be a different conversation. And here God is, as a good father, saying, I have all this wisdom, I have all this hope for you, and you can have it. All you have to do is ask. Ask. 